Hi, you're watching On The Town, and I'm your host, Tanya Cooper. Uh, welcome back. Uh, this week's topic is drug addiction. Addiction is a brain disorder characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli despite adverse consequences. That's according to Wikipedia, of course. And according to the National Survey on Drug and Alcohol Use uh, and, and Health, excuse me, 19.7 million American adults age 12 and older uh, battled a substance use order disorder uh, just in 2017 alone. So you can imagine those numbers have uh, went up significantly. Uh, our guest here today uh, is here to share his story in hopes that we help others uh, who are struggling and to help encourage families who may want to give up. If you, if you have addiction in your life, uh, be that your family, your spouse, your child, your friend, coworker, we hope you hear something today that will lead to recovery for, or to understanding, compassion, and, and patience. So this week's guest is a believer in Christ. He used to be a DJ and he worked very, very hard to get and stay sober. He, he says it took him almost 25 years. And in the end, it was God that led him to recovery. Please welcome Jason Mantel. Welcome, Jason. Hi. Hi, how are you? Thank how you is so everybody? Everything's good. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you uh, coming Yay. on today um, and yep. taking the time. Uh, so, so if you could for us, can you just briefly share your story um, on addiction for us? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Justin Mantel. Mm -hmm. I am uh, 38 years old. I grew up here in Connecticut, uh, partly in Stanford. Uh, then we uh, moved to Trumbull um, on the, the Bridgeport-Trumbull line. And uh, then I lived all over Connecticut. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you why. And um, so at uh, 12 years old, I, I, you know, I smoked my first joint, drank my first 40, thought I was cool, hanging out with you know, the guys. Um, you know, growing up in Stanford, we grew up right next to the project area. My mom was like very overprotective. She was mugged in the house and just all kinds of bad stuff went on in that, in, in that area that we lived mm -hmm. in. So we're kind of on lockdown. We, we couldn't mm -hmm. really walk. So when we moved to Trumbull, um, well, we had a yard. There was a park down the street, <laughs> you know, so there was some freedom there and, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the kids that, you know, had moved into the neighborhood, they were around my age and they had older brothers and sisters who were, you know, in high school and I hung out with those guys. Um, mm -hmm the ones that accepted me uh, a lot of the kids in Trumbull didn't accept me because I was an inner city kid and I walked and talked differently than <laughs> than most um in the school but uh you know so I I started and it wasn't a you know it wasn't a problem or whatever it was a weekend thing and um you know I my my mom and dad stayed married until I was uh, 17 my dad was a DJ um he oh. had his own company yeah so I'm a That's second generation yeah. Um, he had also started a audiovisual company um, mm -hmm. just by chance. He was doing a DJ job and there was some cyber, there was a cyber projector and screen and the guy didn't, you know, didn't do it, you know, didn't set it up right. And he had left. So my dad mm -hmm. fixed it and mm -hmm. had an idea and uh, he ran with it, but it kept him away from our family um, right. a lot. Okay. Um, he was, he, you know, me and him didn't have a good relationship. So, mm -hmm. and the reason, the reason I'm talking about that is because, that I'm not blaming my father. My decisions were my decisions, but Absolutely. the lack of, of having a strong male figure in my life, you know, affected me, you know, 
the guys that taught me how to kind of be a man and be tough were, were the guys that were selling drugs and, and, you know, being violent and doing, doing dumb things. And, you know, I was involved with some of it. Um, but as I got older, um, you know, the partying became more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a blackout drinker. Uh, usually not at first, but you know, the progression happens and then I'm, I'm in handcuffs and in hospitals and psych wards and all that kind of stuff and jail. Um, but, uh, so at 17, my parents were divorced. That's when I did my first line of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after that, I, I started experimenting with me- mescaline and, and, uh, ecstasy. Um, I did a lot of ecstasy when, you know, when I was, uh, from like 18 to 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started dating my daughter's mother and she you know, went to college, you know, she was in college for a year or whatever. I had dropped mm-hmm. out at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, she introduced me to opiates and at first oh. it was just on the weekends, you know, here and there on the weekends. Then, um, we got involved with the Oxycontins oh, and, okay. uh, it, it was, uh, down the rabbit hole. And uh, from the Oxycontins, the Oxycontins got very expensive mm-hmm. and uh, we couldn't afford it, but we were going through withdrawals and, and getting sick. And mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine was like, I can't get you that, but I can get you pedo. So there began my <laughs> dope for the first couple of years that I went down there. I, Did you... I can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, um, I went down, you know, I, I, I battled with a heroin addiction, uh, for, for a long time, a good four or five years. Um, I have, uh, two sisters. One is 10 years older than me. The other one is three years younger than me. My older sister mm-hmm. has my daughter. Um, she had, you know, taken her for, for my, for, for me and, you know, mostly for my daughter, um, because, in a bad place. Her mother was stripping. We were shooting hundreds, if not thousand dollars worth of cocaine every night. Um, mm-hmm. So the best thing I could ever do for my daughter was to, to give her to my sister. But I'm not going to say that there wasn't that selfish part of me either. That was like, if I don't have her, you know, I can party more and, and you know, nothing, nothing can stop me. Right. Um, right. So, uh, you know, what I, led I, you- I, um, I ended up going to rehab in 2005. And I got sober for a little while and was introduced to the, the you know, 12-step uh, program. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't really take it serious and I didn't really think that I needed it. I thought, you know, as long as I wasn't sick, I was going to be okay. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had moved to Middletown, Connecticut. I'd gotten an apartment with my mother. I was working a full-time job. Things were going good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was dating, you know, a nice, uh, decent girl or whatever, at least I thought. Mm-hmm. And, but then began the, the alcohol abuse and, uh, it was, it took me down pretty far. Um, but not, not as far as I needed to go, obviously, uh, right. because I kept going, uh, in 2000, I think 11, mm-hmm. I had, I had gotten off of, I, I wasn't doing drugs. I was just, I was just drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was diagnosed with, uh, thyroid cancer and I, um, uh, I offered to, you know, stay at his house or whatever to help him out and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that ended up turning into like a long-term thing. I, I started working for his audiovisual company and um, DJing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, uh, I ended up relapsing again. 
you know, my, my father before that had kicked me out of the house numerous times. I've been homeless many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was homeless with my daughter. We were making her bottles on the defroster of our car. Uh, um, you know, I, I've slept on park benches. I, 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 I've, I've been there. I've done it. And uh, it was it was a rough road. Um, and what brought you out? And uh, so my father and I finally had gotten close after all these years. He saw that I was trying to change, but I did have a relapse. And he caught on. And instead of him throwing me out this time, he had uh, he had told me that he was gonna he was gonna help me do whatever whatever I needed to do to to you know get get straight and and, and stay on a on a good path. And I did that for a while, for mm-hmm. for a few years. I was a rising star DJ. I was second in charge of a, a big DJ company in, uh, in Stanford of their audiovisual department. I was also a lighting director. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I had moved out of my father's house with the, the girl that I was dating at the time. And, uh, you know, we, things were good. Um, right. And then uh, in 2015, in August, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage wow. three, wow. no, stage four. Um, he only lasted about seven and a half months. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to cope with anything other than to, to do drugs. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'd gotten, you know, when my, when my dad, you know, found out that I was doing the dope, you know, a few years before I'd went on methadone and methadone had worked for me right? until it didn't work for me. Right. Um, it didn't, you know, it, it doesn't help you deal with, with your problems. It doesn't give you coping skills or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, I, I had take home bottles. I, you know, I was, I was good. Then right. when my father got sick because I didn't have, any coping skills, I fell apart and mm-hmm. I knew he was going to die mm-hmm. despite what the, the oncologist said, Oh, you got a year. I knew, mm-hmm. um, we all did. Right. And uh, it was very hard with, with my father because he was not accepting and didn't want to know what his time limit was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was very, it was very hard for me to, to be around him and, and, and all that. And I regret it. I regret that I ran and I hit like I did, you know, um, every time I saw him, I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the reason for that is in my head, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I just got close to him. <laughs> me and him are, you know, me and him just got tight over these last few years. Like, why, why is he being taken away? Right. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, like my dad died. Yeah. And after he died, I went on a rampage. Um, lots of cocaine, lots of heroin. Um, do you think the that girl w- that I was dating a year later kicked me out of the apartment? I was homeless for for a little while. Mm-hmm. I went to rehab and and did that thing again, but I, my heart wasn't in it, and and you know I hadn't I guess I hadn't suffered enough, right. um you know, and uh, I gotten out and I got a little a little room on North Avenue in Bridgeport to rent, mm-hmm. in, um on North yeah North Avenue in Bridgeport that I was renting, and uh, I had uh, I was able to get my DJ equipment back. I started DJing at a strip club down the street um, and uh, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, my little sister and I were, were running partners. Um, I was the first person to give my sister a line of dope. Um, and I, I say that with shame. Um, a big brother is not supposed to do that to their little sisters. Right. not supposed to introduce them to bad things. We're supposed to protect them. No. But I was so sick in my own head that I thought this was a way for us to bond. That's, mm. that's how sick I was. Right. Um, and, you know, 
even though she didn't take to it right away, you know, it was still in there. That feeling that the brain of an addict remembers that, that you report feeling it, it was there. Um, you know, my little sister didn't like me very much. Didn't have too many good things to say about me at that time. Um, but her and I were running partners and, and, you know, we did a lot of damage, stole a lot of things and, you know, arrested and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so my dad dies uh, February 6th of, of 2016. I go to rehab. I get a year later, I get kicked out. I go to rehab. I get out my, my little sister. I'm, the walls are closing in on me on this, this room that I'm renting. And now I'm shooting cocaine by myself. So I'm really not, not, not all there. And there was nights where I was crying out to the devil. Like mm. I'll sign my soul over to you. Just give me what I want. Right. And I meant it. Thank God that that didn't happen. Right. Um, and, and, and I believe that's because God has a plan for me, just like he has for everybody. Absolutely. And uh, my sister and I started hanging out and, and shooting dope again. And I ended up going to Waterbury and staying with her. Um, one night I was ready to end it all. And a friend of the family had called me and, you know, wanted to know how I was doing. And I told myself, I'm going to kill myself. I don't want to be here anymore. My dad's gone. My life is shit. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't do anything. And, and, and I was blaming everybody else. Mm. I, I wasn't blaming myself and I wasn't looking at me and the things that I needed to do to change inside so that my life could change on the outside. Right. And uh, so I moved out. So he, he said, you're going to move. You're going to come live, move down to Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I got work for us and this, that and the other thing. And, and you know, he did have work for us and, but you know, I, I didn't get paid really. Um, he paid me a couple of times. It wasn't very much money, but he also took care of, you know, food and, and, and stuff like that. And he also took care of the drugs. Right. Um, instead of me being on opiate methadone, I was, he introduced me to crystal methamphetamines. Uh, and at first it wasn't my drug. I didn't like it. And right. then doing it a, a little bit more, you know, I started to like it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, in 2018, I, I had come back to it was a couple months, a couple months after I'd moved to Georgia, I mm -hmm. had to come back to Connecticut because I, I had a New Year's Eve party that I had to DJ. Mm -hmm. I came back and I couldn't go to the methadone clinic up here. It was all messed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I started shooting dope. The New Year's Eve job was a disaster. The owner of the restaurant has known me since I was a kid. He won't talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, and and under, understandably, um, I, I, I ruined, I ruined a big night. Mm -hmm. And uh so I ended up staying in Connecticut for, for a little bit longer than I thought. It was like three weeks I was out here. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I finally was able to get a, a bus ticket to go back to Georgia. Um, I had brought enough dope with me so that I wasn't sick on the bus. Mm -hmm. And when I got close to Atlanta, I had called the friend of the family and I had said, look, I'm done with this shit. I, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Right. I don't want, I don't want to be on methadone. I don't want to be on, on, on oxys. I don't want to be on any of it. Thanks. And I said, I'm going to, you guys are going to need to bear with me because I'm going to be real sick. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I quit doing the methadone and, and the heroin. Methadone, I stopped at 30 milligrams cold turkey all on, yourself? on top of heroin use. Wow. Um, and uh, so I, um, I was sick for, for quite a, for a couple of weeks there. Um, the one great, you know, the great, great thing that he had done for me, he made me get up and go to work with him. As, as much as I didn't want to, he said, Justin, he said, you got to get up. And you got to come to work with me and take your mind off of me because a lot of your sickness is mental too. And I said, and he was right. He's right. 
So I got up, I went to work, <clears throat> and it slowly started getting better. I started it slowly started getting my strength back and, and started to feel better and, and all that. And um, then, you know, we started doing meth a lot, a real lot. Okay. And uh, him and I almost killed each other a few times. Uh, there was prostitutes in and out of the house. Um, it was bad. Uh, but it wasn't as, as bad as it was going to get. He had left in, uh, I want to say, May or June mm-hmm. of 2018. And, uh, yeah, 2018. And um, I was stuck there by myself. Now, oh. my uncle through marriage was a mm-hmm. state mogul in, in Georgia or whatever. Um, and he mm-hmm. was actually the, the property manager of the uh, duplex that we lived in. So I made a deal with him to, you know, clean it out and make some money and, and whatever. And I was supposed to go stay with some girl that, that I, you know, was talking to or whatever. Um, so I was doing the cleanup. Uh, my uncle had asked me to get him an ounce of marijuana. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, later that, uh, the next day, um, or the next night, he had, you know, started blowing my phone up and, uh, you know, told me I ruined his weekend. And I was like, what are you talking about? And anyways, I, I ended up driving an hour from Atlanta in a U-Haul truck bring him an ounce of weed. When I got in his room, there was porn on the TV, and I had no idea what the hell I just walked to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he looks and he goes, I'm sorry. You know, I like to watch porn with meth. I didn't know that I knew his, his little 28-year-old friend meth, but I didn't know that he meth. So then um, he asked me to sit up with him and uh, it felt very awkward and weird and, you know, just very weird. And uh, he, he also offered me a line of meth and I said, yeah, of course. Um, and uh, he started to show me pictures of his little girlfriend doing sexual things and whatever. And then, posi- then proceeded to proposition me uh, to do a threesome with him and his girlfriend. Um, wow. Now, his girlfriend's like 30 years younger than him. Um, you know, I hadn't seen him in 30 years. And my last memory of him wasn't a very good one. Uh, it was him chasing me with his pants on, snapping his belt. I don't know if something happened. I don't, I hope not. You never know. And I don't want to know. If it did, my brain blocked it out for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh, so... Yeah, because I think like it's our room talk, you know, like it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that and nothing ever comes of it. Uh, right. I was totally wrong. Two days later, I was on my way with him and the girl to a fancy hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. And okay. uh, it took a lot of a lot of meth and a lot of alcohol to get me to to join in and, and do what they want me to do. Um, and I ended up becoming like a, kind of like a gigolo or a sex slave. I'm not really maybe not a sex slave, but that I was there for. He housed, gave me the master bedroom, right. big, beautiful room, all that stuff. And, you know, I, nobody ever done that for me before. So, you know, I was, I was grateful and, and just what he wanted me to do. But his old girlfriend had other plans and she propositioned me to, you know, sleep with her on the side without him knowing. And anyways, he ended up throwing me out because he, he got suspicious um, I ended up staying with her and at her camper in a trailer park, mm-hmm. doing meth, having a gun, hanging out the window every time I heard something. Also, there was cameras all around this camper. Uh, she was mm-hmm. affiliated with some gang out there mm-hmm. watching the monitor on, on all the different, you know, in the, and stuff. 
and I'd be up for days doing this. And mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was terrible. Um, right. At the end of the end of 2018, um, mm -hmm. they they had plotted to kill me. Mm -hmm. um, I knew something was going on. I knew something was weird. Uh, so I let mm -hmm. my mother and my my younger sister know that if something happened to me, that you know these are the people that are responsible. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they ended up uh, uh, not to do. And they, you know, they, what they were going to do is they were going on a vacation, Smoky Mountains, and they were going to overdose me and leave me in the hotel or the cabin. And uh, they decided not to do it because my girlfriend knew what I had done um, mm -hmm. with telling my, my mother and my sister. And uh, so they dropped me off in Knoxville, Tennessee uh, with a bus ticket. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't, it took back to Connecticut. I ended up getting in touch with the girl that I was supposed to stay with, and she brought me back to Georgia. Okay. Um, I stayed in Georgia for another couple of weeks. Uh, it was mm -hmm. terrible. I was homeless. Didn't know anybody. All I knew was people wanted to kill me. And mm -hmm. uh, I ended up making amends with my uncle or whatever, and let him. I told him the truth about what happened. So um, he ended up getting me a bus ticket to come back to Connecticut. Um, but before I had asked him to do that, I had come up with a plan to commit suicide when I came back. I wanted mm -hmm. to visit with my two sisters and my mom and my dog, and then I was going to go off my own. Um, uh, so I, I, I called my mother and I told my mother what I was going to do. And it wasn't because I was crying out for help or because I wanted anybody to stop me. Because in my mind, I thought it would be easier for my mother when I was gone. Uh, mm -hmm. That was totally wrong. To do that to your mother. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I can't imagine what she felt like and how scared she was. Um, you know, I'm her, I'm, I'm her son. I'm her, I'm her only son. And uh, so I ended up coming back. Um, and uh, I was, uh, I was doing, I was doing heroin again or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I had gotten some money that was owed to me, um, and I uh, called my buddy to come and pick morning and go dope which ended up turning out to be fentanyl um mm. we went back to his condo mm. he he shot up overdosed i took him out of his overdose and then i went and i shot up and i overdosed and oh. um i almost didn't back they had to narcan me a few times um nice. me um i remember waking up in the hospital and looking at the doctors and say why didn't you just let me die mm. um and you know they wanted they started asking me if i was suicidal and of course mm. i said no Two hours later, they opened me out of the hospital. Mm. In January, on January, 11th, I um, I had this overwhelming feeling of what the hell are you doing with your life? Like, get your mm -hmm. shit together. Like, you need to do something. Right. But hold on one second, because I want to backtrack real quick. You know, God led me to this point, and I don't want to take that out of the story. And I'm sorry right. for jumping around. That's okay. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little out of it. <laughs> she's going on. So, but anyways, um, before I left Georgia, I had walked to. I had spent the night outside of a hotel, like literally outside mm -hmm. in twenty degree weather. Oh. Um, I had to walk a mile and a half to this Walmart, and um, mm -hmm. it started to warm up during the day or whatever, which was nice. But within five minutes of me being at this Walmart, a lady pulled mm -hmm. up to me. To, wanted to know what was going on with me if I was okay and I told mm -hmm. her I was okay and she ended up giving me a couple of to get something to drink and 
because I hadn't eaten in a couple days. And um, then I'm sitting there and they had a, a you know, an a electrical outlet outside so I could charge my phone and I was waiting for the girl to come get me so that we could go do math and, and, and whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, I see this lady, you know, walking towards me. She's, she's got glasses on. She smiles at me and I, I say, hello, how are you? She goes, um, I see her leave and I had no cigarettes and I was dying for a cigarette. And so out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy about 600, 700 feet on my left over near the Walmart you know, entrance and mm-hmm. he's smoking a cigarette. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should ask him, but my, my pride got in the way. And I was like, no, but I'm not going to ask. Well, as, as soon as I turned my head away and mm-hmm. looked back, he was standing right next to me. The guy's name was Ra- uh, Raph. And, uh, he wanted he, he asked me a bunch of questions about what I was doing. You know, I was honest and I told him that, you know, a meth addiction and what I, I wasn't using was a lie. Um, and he offered for me to go to work today. He, his laborer had called out. He was going to give me $5 for lunch and, and pay me, you know, at the end of the day, all that. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you know, I got to call my friend, you know, she's close by or whatever. I don't know when she's going to be here. And he was like, all right. He's like, well, I'm going to go inside. I was like, okay, well, can I bump the cigarette from you? He's like, I'll give you one when I come out. I got to go make these keys or something like that. I was like, all right. And I'm waiting for him to come out. But the lady I saw earlier with the glasses, I right. see again walking towards me. Mm-hmm. And like a beeline towards me. Mm-hmm. And she's got something in her hand. She, you know, gets about a foot away from me and says, for you, God told me to bring this to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? And it's a, a Burger King breakfast sandwich. <laughs> and I had, you know, my, I had goosebumps. You know, God told you to do this. Like, you know, I mean, I didn't think God gave a shit about me at that point, you know. Um, and uh, then she proceeded to tell me that God wanted me to give you a message. That the mm. beginning of your suffering has started. So the beginning of the end of your suffering has started. Mm. And I just bursted into tears. Because wow. it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I think, I believe that just that little incident gave me a, enough hope to, to make it to where I made it, you know. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't listening. God, I was still going to So when I decided to get that dope, dope, God was like, well, I'm going to let you lose your a little bit. And right. yeah. You're going to lose because I purpose. So I go into rehab here in Danbury at MCCA, which is an amazing program. Um, they mm-hmm. helped me save my life, and, and I can never repay what they did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through their detox, um, and from their detox, I went to a place called the Sobering Center, which is this, like, waiting place. <laughs> it's 21 different personalities and fed, and you're all on top of each other pretty much there's a bunch of animals um but it was a great for me to be um for a couple of days from there i went to the 28 day pro after the day program mm-hmm. i went to the sobering center for another um mm-hmm. and uh from the sobering center i moved into a sober house which was the best thing i had ever done because i i'd never went that far before i'd been in and out of rehab and detoxes and all that but i never stuck I had somewhere to run to Thank right. God I didn't this time. Um, it really made me take a look at myself and, and, and really work a 12-step program um, and, and regain my faith in, in, in God and in myself. 
and in my abilities on what I can do in life. Um, you know, I, I'd gotten a sponsor, uh, work my 12 steps, service work, um, and, and all of that being, being involved. You know, I like to tell people that, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're connected to people that like, that are yeah. sober, that know what you've been and you stay connected to those people, you have a fighting chance, like big time, 12 steps. Me building the foundation that I built with my sponsor, those 12 steps, mm-hmm. prepared me for what I was going to deal with after my first year of recovery. Mm-hmm. I celebrated my, my one year anniversary on January 20th, 2009, 2020, sorry. <laughs> um, my little sister had went to Tennessee to get off the of met off the of methadone and, and heroin, mm-hmm. um, and also to give her a boyfriend that had broken her nose um, prior to her being. I, I I had called and got I'm arrested. Um, so my little sister had gotten to see me get my from my sister, um, okay. and hear what he had to say about me and what I had to say about the program, mm-hmm. and. Uh, inspired her um my uh my girlfriend uh, invited her and my cousin to come and stay at her apartment at our apartment uh the next night mm-hmm. uh, which was a monday night so my sister had come with my well, my cousin and you know my sister had told me something that i didn't know how bad it was with you know her taking care of our father when he had the, the pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. and all of that and her and my dad were very very close um, but she, she forgave me for a shitty thing that I had done to her. And for the first time ever, um, she had told me what an amazing person I had become. And, you know, she had lo- she loved the man that I am and, and that I'm becoming. And, you know, that's a lot coming from my sister who took a lot of abuse from me and, and, and made a lot of bad decisions. And uh, the next, the next night, uh, my, my, my girlfriend had invited me to come stay on Tuesday night. So they came back. You know, I went to work Tuesday morning, saw my sister, told her I love her. I'll see you. I'll see you when I uh, so I get home from work around four o'clock, and um, my sister and my cousin still aren't here. So I, I message her, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? She's like, we're on our way, and, and whatever. They don't end up getting here until about seven o'clock, 7 30 at night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she looked a little funny, but I, you know, she was supposed to go back to Tennessee the next day. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to argue or, or anything or accuse. I could be wrong. If she, if she was using or whatever, it wasn't going to get anywhere. She was going to get combative and, and whatever, because it's the same thing that I would have done, you, you know? Um, and uh, so around midnight, my girlfriend and I, we go upstairs to go to sleep and, um, night we night to my sister and tell her lover and, and all that mm-hmm. uh the next morning at about 6 45 my cousin had woken me up i can't wake asia up she's downstairs in your bathroom i jumped up out of bed and uh i went into the bathroom and uh my sister was face down dead from a fentanyl overdose and my sister didn't just die from one type of fentanyl she died from two types of fentanyl um one uh, one was the car fentanyl, which is, uh, from what I from what I remember, is more powerful than regular fentanyl. Yes, um, I could be wrong. If I am, I apologize. Uh. Um, me being me being the person that I've become, 
through the, the 12 steps and through faith in God allowed me to be able to calmly pull my sister out of the bathroom and lay her on the floor right, right where I'm sitting um, and do chest compressions and, and count her until the EMTs got here. Um, mm. Because of what I did and because of what the EMTs did, Danbury Hospital was able to get a pulse and, 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 and her heart back beating. And, uh, but her brain was dead. She was, she was unconscious or out too long. And, um, and uh, at 2.30 on January 29th, we had to say goodbye to my little sister. Uh, so we had to pull the plug. And uh, six weeks later, my best friend died of an overdose. Five days later, a kid that I sponsored who was like a brother to me, he died of an overdose. In April, my girlfriend's father died of COVID-19. Shortly after, a girl named Jamie, who worked at my store, and I helped her get the job there, she died of an overdose. Um, just recently, a guy that I had done some com community service work with, uh, Robert, he passed away from an overdose. We're losing so many people to addiction and to, to, to fentanyl, to alcoholism every day. Yes. I believe the numbers are more than what we're losing to COVID-19. Mm, yes. And nobody's yeah. talking. And it needs to be talked about. You know, you don't see that on mainstream media, how many people are dying from the disease of addiction and alcoholism. And, yes. you know, I, I want to bring hope, but I also bring awareness to people that this is what's going on. You know, yes. I've lost quite a few people this, this, this these past nine months, 10 months, hmm. all due to fentanyl, except for one. And, uh, you know, I have hope for myself and, and, and for everybody. And, and, you know, I just, yes. I just I, I, all you have to do is work hard. If you want that you ever had before, then you have to do something that you were never willing to do before. Absolutely. I wasn't willing to do anything that my sponsor wanted me to do, but I did it because I didn't know nothing. I didn't know how to, how to live. I didn't know how to be an adult. I still don't sometimes. I'm not perfect. I fall short 9 million times a day. You know, um, you know, I don't tend to, I don't attend as, attend as many meetings as I, as, as I used to, you know, life mm -hmm. starts to happen. And you got to find balance. Balance is, is key in, in, in anybody's life, but especially for, for, for an addict or, or an, uh, an alcoholic, we got to yeah. learn how to balance family, job, faith, steps, all of that. And it's not easy. You know, no. uh, it was explained to me, you know, look at it like a three-legged stool. If one leg is short, the stool is going to topple over. So you got to work on these things all the time. You got to work on your mind, body, and spirit all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm guilty of not doing it all the time. You know, we're, we're human. We're not perfect. It's progress, not perfection. Um, you know, anybody that is suffering with alcoholism or addiction, I, I suggest that you, you go to rehab. Pay attention to what these counselors are telling you because they know what they're talking about. You know, I had, a, I had one counselor. You get one counselor. Well, I used all the counselors in the program. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, you know, because I wasn't sure if I was going to stay sober. Or I was going to go out and kill myself when I got out. Um, you know, but then I started doing some work and the light started to come back into my eyes. Hopelessness way and, and faith and hope filled that hole. And, uh, you know, I live a life that I, I didn't think I could live ever. And I, and I, and I don't have much. I work at a gas station. 
I make a little mm-hmm. bit above minimum wage. You know, um, I have a, a wonderful girlfriend, um, a beautiful place to live. Um, and I'm grateful for all those things. And I have my mother, I have my sister, and I have my daughter. You know, um, I've been absent from my daughter's life for a long time, but now my older sister starting to let me come back in. She's seen the change in me and and, and so I'm doing and, and sees the attitude and, and how I handle situations. I'm no longer angry. Anger, yes. anger and pride will kill you. Um, yes. So I'm going to end with that. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I still can't hear you. <laughs> I, uh, can you hear me now? No. Okay. So I'm going to end it and um, we're going to have to have you back because no one can, I'm not sure who can hear me. Uh, and I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to finish. Okay. Um, Anthony, can you hear me? Uh, Anne-Marie, can you hear me? I want to see if they can hear me or just you. Cause I don't know what the pro- technical problem is, but they heard you. Um, give me one second. Uh, in case uh, you didn't get to see, <clears throat> what we're doing tonight. We're talking about addiction uh, and we're talking uh, with the um, Justin Mantel. Oh, he said he can hear me, so he can hear me. Okay, good. So you can hear me. All right. So basically, we're going to have to come back because uh, uh, so many questions I wanted to ask, um, but uh, thank you so much, Justin, for sharing your story. Um, we appreciate it uh, because uh, we're hoping that somebody watches and listens and that maybe it'll be their story and they can feel like there's kind of hope for themselves. So um, we'll, I don't know when we'll be able to have Justin back, but we will definitely have him back. In case you have any questions, you can leave them in the box. You can hear me. Oh, good. You can hear. Oh, good. Okay, good. So if you had any questions, you can put them in the box uh, down there and j- maybe I can get Justin to answer them because for some reason he can't hear me uh, and we're not sure why. So I, we apologize for the technical difficulties, but let me see. Um, let me uh, Any questions oh okay he just left um okay he just left so you guys i'm sorry about that um thank you t- uh t- i'm glad you can hear me taisha let's see who else anthony you can hear me too okay so i don't know why we wasn't able to hear the young man uh but uh, you could hear him I'm, did you hear his story i hope you heard his story it was very powerful um it was very from his heart so um, I'm sorry I couldn't interact because of the, some technical difficulty. And we're not sure. I started a new program. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Uh, but I will get a fix. Um, I can hear you. Good. Were you able to hear him, Amory, the gentleman? Were you able to hear him, Anthony? Tisha, can you hear the other gentleman when he was speaking? Because it was very powerful stuff. I hope you guys um, were able to hear his story because uh, it's very, um, very enlightening. Everybody knows somebody that's dealing with addiction in their family right now. Good. You heard? Good. Thank you, Emery. Uh, everybody has someone in their family is dealing with addiction and the truth. Okay, he's back. Let's see. Let's see. We got him back. Hi, you back? Now you can hear me. Yeah, um, now I can't. Now. <laughs> now you can hear me. Good. Okay, so I was just giving him a little summary. Uh, everyone could hear your story, so that's now the I can most hear important. You, yeah. But everyone could hear you, so that was the most important part. Um, and I was t- uh, asking anybody have yeah. any questions. Anybody has any questions down there? There's always hope. My brother. Oh, someone said their brother didn't make it, uh, but there's a lot of people. He heard everything you said. So yeah, hopefully your story will touch lives and save lives. And if not, they'll go tell someone else who may touch their life or save their life. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Darn it. Can you, am I talking too fast? Yeah, I am. Okay. So it's, my, it's maybe you, something. You, no, no, you keep going in and out. <laughs> uh, 
sorry, guys. It's something. It might be something with this new program of mine. Um, so I apologize. Um, but mo I'm just happy that they heard your story. That's the most important part because that is the life changer. That's the the just of the whole thing we're trying to do. I, I wanted to go and ask you questions, but I'm gonna have to have you back again uh, for the question part because I'm sure people. I would love to, I would love to be back again. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my friend said, everybody here said they heard you. They heard everything you said. Uh, we just couldn't interact because you couldn't hear me. Uh, let's see. God bless them. God bless you. They said, can you see, can you see the chat? Uh, can you see the chats? I can't. No, I can't. Oh, oh wait, hold on. Okay. You can't see what they're asking. No, I the, can't. No. Okay. That's okay. Uh, I put it up on the oh, screen. So. Hold on. Uh-huh. Very powerful. Yes. God bless him. Powerful. God bless him. Yep. Thank yeah, you, guys. I'm not, not seeing it. Okay, that's okay. I'm just going to tell you some. I put um. There's people up here who put um. Thank you. Uh, uh, you'll see it after after we close out, and you'll go back. You'll be able to see all the qu questions, and you can answer them yourself if you'd like. Um. But the, everyone said God bless you, pretty much, and very powerful. Yeah. Um, yes, very powerful stuff. The main thing is he's working on the problem and stay connected with the people that are clean. Yes. So there's a lot of good feedback here, which is all we really wanted. And that's why I told you, I appreciate you so much for, for taking the time out and sharing your story. Cause that's not an easy thing to do. Um, and I always say, you know, sharing your story is okay. If you're going to save or change your life. And I think that will happen. You know, um, I'd like to see you write a book next. <laughs> That's all right. That's it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> the book is definitely next. Your story is amazing. Um, and if the, all that you survived, all the many deaths that's happened is so soon and back to back. And you still got up like a, you know, like a champ in the boxing ring and, and like, okay, I'm going to go for another round like this. Let's do it. You know? So God bless you for that because you know, I, I was in an addiction field for over 15 years and it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. And, and we can always make excuses, but you didn't make any and you're not making any. That's all we can ask for, bro. No, I'm not. You know, I mean, you know, like I said, I fall short. I, I, I don't do as many meetings as I used to do. And, I, you know, because of the, the pandemic and, and all, all that, like it stopped my, some of my, my service work. Right. And, you know, I'm able to do it through Zoom meetings here and there, but you know, I, I do music therapy rehab here with nice. their clients and I'm not able to do that because I can't go in there yet until we're back and we're, we're open hundred percent in Connecticut. Okay. <laughs> yes, and are you DJing anymore? Are you, are you DJing anymore? I, I, as of right now, I haven't DJed in about, no, not, not as of right now, but hopefully within the next year or so I will be. Okay. I think you should do um, sober parties. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I heard you. I said, I think you should do sober. <laughs> I would love to open up a sober club one day. <laughs> That's what I, would, I I might beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's a good idea because the people still want to, the overall. Let me know. No, but seriously, people want, everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to be a part of something. And so that part you can't take away, whether you're an addict or not. That's what people like. People associate and like associating with people. So with that being said, a sober uh, bar to me would make sense because you're still 
with people, but you're not getting high. So it makes sense to me. You're drinking soda or whatever the think concoctions they make this sober, so, sober related. Yeah. Uh, and you're still going out and having fun, you mm -hmm. know? So. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry, guys, my yeah. technical difficulties. My yeah, side. I mean, um, my, first two, <laughs> my first two months, there you, go. you know, after getting out of the, the, sober, the sobering stand and being in a, in a sober house, um, I had went to a bar with a bunch of my sober friends. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been in a bar before without drinking. And we mm -hmm. walked into this bar and we went to play pool. We weren't there, you know, to, but we were having more fun than the people that were actually sitting there drinking. I mean, loud, obnoxious, laughing, having a great time. And we were all sober. And, you know, it just mm -hmm. showed me at, a, at, a, at an early stage of my recovery that I didn't need any substances to have a good time. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't. I've had plenty of good times. I've, I've uh, you know, uh, my birth, I ended up in foster care due to addiction oh, for the rest of my life. Oh, sorry. No, can you hear me? Uh, now? I can't hear you. <laughs> you can't hear me at all? Okay, so just one second. So, guys, basically, I'm going to have to end this because he can't hear me, even though I know you guys can hear me. Um, but uh, addiction is a very powerful thing, and I appreciate you all for taking the time to share this with somebody. Yeah, well, we're, yeah, I'm going to leave and come back and see if that'll work. Yep, try that. No? Okay. No. Yeah. Oh. Okay. No? No, he can't hear me. Now. Okay. Nope. All right. So, guys, I apologize for the technical difficulties. Uh, we will have to get back, uh, get him back on the show again. Uh, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. We'll have to get him back on the show again. Um, but I thank you guys for taking the time to watch. Uh, and um, please uh, share information with somebody and save a life. All right. Until next week, I will talk to you all later. I'm going to say bye for now. Bye, Justin. Thank you for being our guest. I'm going to get this back to you.